Guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. As you know, my good friend Jason Harrison, the founder of Kuyu Ultralight Hunting, has passed away within a matter of days ago. And the whole hunting community is in shock. All his family and friends obviously are in shock. And we're just so distraught about the tragedy that's happened. And I've tried on my Instagram account uh, some of the hunts that I was on with Jason I have tried to uh, bring out some of those videos where people could see the guy that he was and and, um, just try and shed light on on some of the things that he accomplished and that he did. And I I got to thinking um, I had done a bunch of podcasts with Jason. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and find some of the better podcasts that I did with Jason uh, and I'm going to bring them back to you. And I think I've been listening to them myself and I've gotten a lot of value out of them. And I've been able to reminisce about Jason and the guy that he was and the passion that he had for the hunting business. And uh, I just think a lot of people are going to get um, a lot of value out of listening to what he had to say, whether you're building a business, whether you're hunting, whether you're, you know, whatever you're doing. Uh, I think there's lots of great tidbits uh, throughout these podcasts. So, uh, guys, um, on Instagram, I love the hashtag KuyuStrong. And um, I also, uh, Jason's family has asked, um, in lieu of flowers or or anything like that, to donate to um, the uh, CTE uh, studies and and foundation. They're, They're... they're studying uh, the effects of CTE, and I'm going to put a link for that in these show notes. And um, to all of Jason's, you know, to the whole Kuyu Nation, to Jason's family and friends, um, you know, this is a very, very difficult time. And I thought one of the best ways to um, highlight some of the things that Jason has done is to bring back his own voice and to um, replay some of these podcast episodes. So um, it's going to be tough to listen to, but I think um, in listening to all of these, I've, I've just gotten a, a new appreciation for uh, some of the things that he stood for and what have you. I want to thank you guys, the listeners, for this podcast, your loyalty to this podcast. And I also want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. Obviously, Kuyu, uh, Ultralight Hunting, Kuyu.com. Jason Harrison and his whole crew over there at Kuyu has been a sponsor of my podcast uh, for well uh, for for many years now, and I want to thank them for their sponsorship. And I want to let you guys know that Jason surrounded himself with a great team, and he's got a, a great staff over at Kuyu. And yes, losing the founder, losing the president, you know, Jason was a huge part of. Of, of the success at Kuyu, but he does have a phenomenal team. Uh, the team is rallying. I was over there for the funeral and was able to talk with a lot of the employees and a lot of the staff at Kuyu, and they are rallying. They are going to uh, help Jason's legacy live on, and I think they're going to do a phenomenal job. So uh, I appreciate all of you guys' support, the Kuyu Nation support of Kuyu, and I want to thank Kuyu for their sponsorship of the podcast, you can go to KUIU.com and check uh, out all of the different products there. 
And I also want to thank GoHunt.com. Cody Nelson, who is the glassing guru and the optics authority, is the new optics manager at GoHunt.com gear shop. You can call Cody directly for info sales at 702-847-8747, extension 2, or email Cody at optics, O-P-T-I-C-S, at GoHunt.com. Uh, Cody has promised me that he's going to take care of the J. Scott Outdoors listeners, so make sure to give Cody a call if you have any optics needs, whether it's spotting scopes, binoculars, rifle scopes, tripods, etc. Also, Canyon Coolers. Use the J. Scott promo code to get a 10% off all Canyon Coolers products. Go to CanyonCoolers.com. Canyon coolers.com use the j scott promo code to get 10 percent off all orders guys let's get right to these episodes and i appreciate your support welcome to the j scott outdoors podcast today we have the founder of kuyu jason harrison on the line jason how you doing Jay, I'm doing great. Appreciate you having me on. I love your podcast. Listen to it uh, on a regular basis, and uh, I'm excited to be back on. Awesome. I noticed uh, on your Instagram, I've been following your Instagram, which uh, seems to be growing by the day, and you post some really cool pics. I noticed uh, last night uh, you got uh, to go to the uh, Stanley Cup uh, uh, finals, one of the games. Uh, Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I got Brent Burns, the San Jose Sharks, is a big hunter and a Kuyu customer and shot me an email um, after game five and said, hey, you want to come down and, and watch the watch game six? And McCade from my office and I and our, and our significant others went down last night. And what I didn't know is the tickets he was leaving for me are in his box. So he has a, he owns a box in the arena and, uh, out there with his, his wife and kids and parents, and we all got to watch uh, Game Six. It was an amazing experience. I've never been to an NHL hockey game. I follow the sport a bit, and uh, love the uh, love the hockey. But man, to see it in live is so different. Such a better experience than watching it on TV. It's opposite of most sporting events, you know. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, I'm not a huge hockey fan myself, but I have been to a few games, and it is exciting, um, you know, to see it in person, whereas, you know, sometimes with uh, professional football and basketball, sometimes sitting at home on your, you know, on your own couch, being able to watch all the replays and, you know, get some of the analysis and stuff, uh, sometimes is better, but I agree, uh, going to a hockey game in person is, um, uh, it's just a totally different experience. Uh, yeah, it's it's way better. You got to do it if you haven't done it. It's it's fantastic. I had a great time last night. Too bad they lost. It was a uh, heartbreakers close match until until the very end. But someone's always got to lose. Someone's always got to win. That's right. There's always a winner and a loser. Uh, Jason, I want to ask you about uh, Kuyu and what is going on. Uh, what what what's new going on at Kuyu and uh, um, you know. How are things shaping up out there? Yeah, Kuyu's having another great year. We are, uh, we're ahead of all of my forecast and estimates for 2016 so far, which sets us up for a giant year of growth again. Um, we're 
95% compared uh, to year over year so far, which is tracking, puts us at a really high level for the end of the year. I mean, north of 50 million in revenue. And, um, you know, I just keep waiting for this thing to start to taper a little bit, start to slow, but it certainly hasn't the first six months of this year. And, you know, we're in a really, really good situation as a business. We've grown so fast, and we haven't really been able to catch up to the demand for the brand and for the products really by how I built, decided to build this company out with a really strategic growth plan that didn't require me to dilute the company by raising money. And we're finally getting to that point, with, which I've always dreamed about getting to, where we're self-funding, we're ahead in inventory, and we've got enough cash reserves to, to chase the demand with inventory. So this year is going to be a really, really interesting year for us to really capture five years worth of pent-up demand with really good inventory levels going into the peak of our season. I mean, this is with the highest inventory levels we've had since the launch of the company and a lot in reserves and lots getting made right now for the rest of the year. So it's going to be a fantastic year for, for Kuyo and to see the velocity of this, this brand continue. That's fantastic. Uh, Jason, I've uh, noticed, I've seen um, some excerpts and seen you on CNBC. I've seen you on uh, Fox Business. Uh, I believe you were on. Had a great article on Bloomberg. Uh, it seems like the Kuyu brand. Uh, you know, when you look at hunting pictures, is everywhere. Um, but then to see it also on the mainstream uh, media. Uh, tell me a little bit about that exposure and what that does for a company like Kuyu. Well, first of all, it's very humbling and honoring to be covered by you know, mainstream news publications and business publications. I mean, it's something I never expected when we started this thing, that a company in the hunting industry could get that kind of attention and that kind of interest outside of this market. It's, what's attractive to these business publications is how we've built Kuyu and the emergence of direct-to-consumer business models such as ours, such as Warby Parker, Dollar Shave Club, Harry's Shave Club, as the future of business and how product, how manufacturers sell product directly to their customers. And then what's interesting um, when I get these interviews is how different we are than some of these other brands that have built this direct consumer business model. And for example, like a Warby Parker or a Harry's Shave Club or Dollar Shave Club, they spent a lot of dollars on marketing to grow their business. And they've spent a lot more than they are producing in revenue and are unprofitable. Well, we've done it just the opposite. We've spent very little on marketing. We've spent all of our focus on remarkable products and new innovations and let our customers tell the world about our products, which has allowed us to grow what I consider the smart way to grow a business with profits and not forcing or buying customers letting you earn your customers organically, which is the right way to build an established long-term brand. And that's what's interesting for uh, these business publications is how different we've done it and how profitable we are at, at the size we are and how quickly. And it's just humbling to get this kind of interest. I leave tomorrow for another trip to New York for a series of interviews with another round of business publications. And I've, an article coming out in Inc. Magazine next month and in Esquire Magazine and a number of other really 
you know, high-profile mainstream publications that I just it just blows me away that, that uh, we're getting this kind of traction. And with that kind of traction, uh, you know, I think it's important for people to understand your focus, uh, although it is in building a brand, uh, your focus seems like, from my perspective, knowing you as long as I have, has always been on building a super high-quality product. Uh, tell me about how you are able to manage uh, keeping your focus on, you know, maintaining uh, incredible innovation, you know, for product design and such, and also being able to, you know, push the brand, so to speak. The whole reason I created Kuyu and developed this this unique business model was for my own self-interest and that was to have no restrictions on the products we can make based on price. And you know, when I had said I couldn't work with the Tories of the world of the Petard's leather, I couldn't make carbon fiber frames because of the price points the retailers um, restricted me on. And this whole brand has been focused on products. And that will never change. And we, I won't make sacrifices on the quality or the performance or what goes into our products for price or for revenue. And what's happened is I've aligned myself with the best suppliers in the world, which in turn turn around the best innovations every year and allow me to continue to redevelop products, continue to bring out new concepts and innovations and technologies at a rate that's never been done before in this market or, quite frankly, any market. And we can do it quickly, we can do it better, we can do it at a price that, that most people can afford. And it's those supplier relationships that have allowed me to continue to evolve our product line, continue to push the limits on what's been possible in the past to where it is with Kuyu, and really to grow this brand, what I believe is the correct way, through word-of-mouth marketing, through remarkable products, remarkable customer experience, and a brand that's truly authentic. The people that are here are all hunters. The, myself, Brandon, our product design development team, a lot of the customer service us are all, all hunters. I mean, we don't have to fake it, and we know when our products perform well because we're out there testing them personally and developing them personally, and the best ideas for new products come out of, you know, really big, long, tough hunts and aren't developed in a focus group or in a boardroom or conceptually by a designer. Yeah, and I think it shows in the product. Um, I think anybody that's tried uh, and that uses the product uh, can see that right away. Um, I, I, we've talked about this before on other podcast episodes that you've been on. Uh, when Sitka was bought out and you uh, you know, had it in your head that you were going to start Kuyu, I want to dive in a little deeper and ask you just a couple questions sure. about I, I love business and I love hearing success stories of guys that have been able to build things from the ground up. And I, I just want to ask you about when that period of time, when you when Sitka was bought out, and you started Kuyu. I, I want to ask you about the fear inside of your own head, the fear of failure. Was it you know how how prevalent was it, and did it push you to to you know push the you know, the, the, the idea of Kuyu in your brain, or wh was it more of a function of you, you had confidence that you knew what the, cus the consumer wanted and you just had to be able to, you know, get that product out there? I, 
I, I kind of want to dive deep into sure. like early beginnings, what was going on and, and, you know, what was a, a huge motivation as far as, um, you know, cause I'm driven by fear a lot in, in the fact that fear of failure, I, I want to succeed. So I'm going to do everything necessary to, to, you know, try and be successful. Um, I'm curious, a guy like yourself, what that motivation was. Yeah, I mean, fear drives everything and drives everybody to a certain extent. It all depends on how you manage that fear and what you do about it. And a lot of people, it paralyzes them, keeps them from doing the things that they really want to do in life. And for me, it's really a motivation like you. And I use that fear to really prepare well and really to dive into what I want to be successful at and become a student of it, become an expert of it because of that fear and the fear of not being successful and not and not accomplishing my dreams and my goals in my life. And what that allows me to do with like Kuyu was, was in coming and building Sitka and seeing the success that we had, but really the disappointments I had with the entire experience of selling products to retailers and their lack of ability to sell high quality and performance products. Essentially what we did at Sitka was we were educating our customers about the products, about the brand, and then so that we could have sell-through at the retailer. So they walked through that retailer's door knowing about our products because we found out we couldn't rely on the retailer to sell our products correctly and to add, a, add the value to our, to our price points that were justified at the retail level. We had to do it ourselves. And so that really never, and that disappointment um, stuck with me and I just kept thinking, this retail model's broken if that's the case. The retailer is charging too much and providing too little to the customer to justify a $100 jacket that would sell for $400 at their store. And they were going to make $200 off that $400 purchase. And what stuck in my head was, why? why? That is a broken system. The retailer sh should be adding $200 worth of value, and they're just not. And um, that, that part of it, I believed, needed to be fixed. And the other side of it was I had developed some really amazing products, but they're too expensive when I brought them to the retail buyers. They just wouldn't carry them. And I thought, God, you know, this is such an interesting situation. You know, the retailer isn't adding $200 worth of value on a $400 jacket. We can't produce the best product possible because of the retailer. Why do we need the retailer? I'm educating our customers before. And that was the, the thought I had as I was exiting Sitka. And, and really my last year at Sitka with my frustrations with the, with the, the big box retailers like Cabela's and thought, what if? What if I could build a product with no limitations? What if I could sell it directly to that customer because I've already educated them? We don't need the retailer. And the big question mark was, as I built this business plan and I talked to business experts was, how in the heck are you going to get enough customers to buy your product to recommend your product and people to find out about it before you go out of business. Because you have to front all that inventory. And if you don't sell through it, you're out of business. And fear really drove, uh, drove me to do some things that I look back on now. And it looks like I had a blueprint for how to build a company today direct. And that was by writing a blog once a week about the process of building Kuyu. And that was really done out of fear. And I felt like if I could get people to understand what great products and materials were, to be totally transparent, to go against the grain of everything that's ever been done before in this market, which is tell everybody everything. You know, in the past, we hid who we bought our fabrics from because they were from 
low-cost providers, who, what factories we were cutting and selling our products in because we were choosing those factories on price, and I was doing just the opposite. And that fear let me build a following for this brand before we ever launched. And, and also can really learning to connect with customers, which we had never done before at Sitka because Cabela sold to our customers, for instance, right? We had no connection. We didn't know who was buying our product. And this model allowed me to do it just the opposite. And it is this fear and concern that we couldn't build a brand before we went out of business that allowed me to execute Kuyu so well. That's awesome. Let's take a quick break here. Jason, how much of the role of, you know, blogging and social media, you know, six years ago, would you agree that the timing uh, was also pretty darn good in the fact that, I mean, let's face it, uh, you started Kuyu probably in the absolute worst economic, uh, you know, right after the crash uh when you know there was not a lot of clarity uh, at all in business uh and you know but with that being said a lot of the social media uh a lot of the blogging a lot of that stuff was finally starting to take hold um and and that transparency you talk about and 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 you know trying to build that customer before you even launch the product you know, to me, that seems like the timing and then with social media, with, with, you know, people jumping away from websites, going more to blogs, going more to social media, uh, that was a huge part of getting the word out there about Kuyu. Yeah, anytime you build a successful brand or business, you have a, it requires a lot of luck and a lot of great timing and being at the right place with the right product at the right time. And we were that way with Sitka and... Looking back on Kuyu, timing was absolutely perfect. I had the credibility of creating the technical apparel and gear category for hunting when I started Kuyu. I certainly couldn't have done this without my experience in history at Sitka and the credibility that gave me. And then looking back now, timing around social media, blogs were just becoming kind of the in thing in social media. They're not so much now. Um, but that that format and that platform of a blog allowed me to be incredibly transparent at a time when most people just didn't trust anybody. I mean, certainly not the banks or Wall Street. And to be able to, be able to talk about the true aspects of business and to be completely transparent with nothing to hide, I think, attracted a lot of people to the brand of, wow, this guy, I might call it belief, is telling me the truth because he's certainly been burned left and right by the business world right now. And I think, you know, in hindsight, looking at this, uh, the emergence of Amazon and online retailing, the social media aspects and blogs, and, um, you know, Kuyu was really perfect timing. And five years earlier, it couldn't have done it. And I don't think five years later, it would have been as successful as it, as it was when I launched it in 2011, but really started launching it in 2010 with a blog. Yeah, absolutely. In your opinion, in your business opinion, uh, brick-and-mortar stores and retailers, I mean, I see it every day. Sports Authority just, you know, announced going, you know, bankruptcy going out of business. Um, it, it just seems like the brick-and-mortar, uh, you know, is, is a dead-end street and, and is, you know, ever so slowly but, but 
if you look at the reality of it, very quickly going away. I'm curious about your thoughts on that. Well, yeah, there's another report I just read about the unemployment rates at big box retailers and how much they've declined over the last 24 months, and it's significant. I mean, they're laying off people left and right, uh, closing stores, whether it's the Gap, whether it's what happened with Sports Authority, seen across the board from fashion retailers all the way down to like Cabela's is in trouble right now because of their overhead for big, their big box retail stores. And it doesn't surprise me. I saw this coming um, a long time ago and just felt like it was going to be just a matter of time because the retailers were no longer adding value to the consumer other than convenience and selection. But there was no value add as far as educating the customer and selling high-end products. And when you just have a large selection in a big box retail store, and there's no one there to justify the higher priced products as a better choice and better value for the customer, price wins. And when you're on this slippery slope, slope of selling things for less, there's, it's just a race to the bottom and then no one wins. And that's, where we, but that's really what we're seeing at retail right now. And then you throw the Amazon effect that they can – have better convenience now with Prime. They can deliver the product to you the next day. When you go to a retail store now and you walk in and they don't have the color or the size that you want and you go home disappointed and you go to Amazon and you click on it and see your house the next day, you quit going to the brick and mortar. And all of this is causing the retailers to cut back on inventory and just creating the problems uh, that they had five years ago but making it worse now because they're all hurting financially so they can't carry their inventory, which you know, takes away the convenience factor that they once had over, over uh, shopping online. And it's just a matter of time before this market becomes very consolidated. I think Amazon is a really scary business right now because I see them you know, truly creating a giant global monopoly of, of brands and retailing because of the, their size, their economics, and now their private label programs, they're really going to put a lot of people out of business over the next 10 years. Anyone that's tied to selling to retail is going to be in trouble if they don't find a way to connect to directly to their customers and learn how to sell directly to their customers. Yeah, and you know, you know, having studied a lot of business in college and having been in business myself for, for a long time now, you know, I look at that and think, oh, man, that's too bad. That's, you know, the, the poor retailers and such. But then I also think that, you know, times are always changing. And, and it, you know, the second that you fall back and, and just accept things for the way they are is, is the second you get crushed. And, you know, part of me, you know, believing 100% in capitalism and, and what have you, I do have some uh, you know, feeling of remorse for some of those, you know, big box retailers and, you know, mom and pop retailers with brick and mortar stores. But I also look back and say, you know, you guys have to be able to adapt and change to what the consumer wants. And it's obvious that the consumer uh, would rather sit at home, pick through, you know, on the internet and have it shipped to them, you know, within a day or two or sometimes same day. I mean, it just seems like an obvious transition. I'm curious what your thoughts are. Obviously, owner and founder of Kuyu, direct, you know, direct, uh, you know, online uh, marketing directly to your customers. Um, but there has to be a sense 
of you just looking at the retail market that that has a little bit of I don't know what the word is. Um, well, I'm curious of your thoughts on that. Well, like I said, it's I saw it coming, so it doesn't surprise me. And the retailers, like you said, didn't adapt. They sat back and been doing the same thing, not adapting. And the consumer has grown tired of what they have to offer and the same experience. And they're flat out just getting a better experience online now. They can learn more about the products. They can, like you said, get it shipped same day or next day and know that when they are making that purchase, that that product's in stock and it's going to come right to you. Where now if you go to a retail store because they can't carry the deep inventory anymore because they can't afford it because they're all in financial crisis, that you create a bad shopping experience for the customer. I mean, for me, to drive, let's say, to REI to get ready for a hunt, I'll walk in that store and you know, half the stuff that I wanted to purchase isn't there. So I don't go to REI anymore. I go online and I purchase it online because I know that it's there. I know I'm going to have it when I need it. And I know I'm going to get a great price on it. And it's the, the retail is really, it's their own fault. And had they continued to add value, continued to be able to make profits, not sell based on just price and have deep selection it may not be as bad as it is for them, but what we're doing today by selling direct to the customers, selling direct from the manufacturers to the customers like a Kuyu and giving that retail market back is absolutely the future. It's just going to be a matter of time before other brands that are, are stuck in that traditional retail model finally are forced to either you know, join Amazon and sell their products that way or learn to truly sell consumer direct online and give that retail market back to the customers. It's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next five to 10 years in this market. Yeah, it absolutely is. Let's shift our focus now. I want to um, talk to you on this episode a little bit about your hunt preparation and, sure. and your gear prep and such for the hunts that you have coming up. With that being said, I'd like to ask you, uh, what do you have coming up in the next couple of months to this fall that you're looking forward to as far as hunts? And then from there, we'll go into how you're preparing for those hunts, both, uh, you know, physically with your training and mm -hmm. uh, with your with your gear prep. Sure. Yeah, I've got a great lineup this fall. I'm hunting a ranch in Northern California in what we call the B zone here, which is the kind of the heart of trophy blacktail land in California and there's a ranch there called the Diamond Sea Ranch that I've been dying to hunt for years and I've gotten to know the guy that runs the hunting there and I have a hunt, hunt with them right at the end of July. They are on a what's called a uh, Partners in Wildlife program with a fishing game and they kind of control their own seasons and you can actually rifle hunt during the during um, late July, early August on that ranch and when these bucks are in velvet and this place has produced some just absolute giant blacktails and it's been a dream mine to have a chance to, to hunt really big trophy blacktails. I've been hunting blacktails my whole life. I've never had a chance to kill a really big buck. So do that in July, and then I come uh, come back and have a few days off, uh, and then I head to the Yukon for a doll sheep hunt with Bonnet Plume that we're going to be filming. Brendan's going to be on that hunt as well with me. And that'll be a 10-day trip. It's going to be interesting. We're, we're going to hunt an area that, that they um, haven't accessed in a long time because it's challenging to get into. Um, they've got a mountain range in there that doesn't have a great spot to put a 
Super Cub on. And so we're going to fly into base camp and then take a Super Cub um, to a river that has that they've driven a jet boat into. And then we're going to get on this jet boat and travel 50, 60 miles up this river and then get dropped off to access this mountain. And we spent, we'll spend 10 days on that mountain um, looking for, for dull sheep. And there may be some mountain caribou in there or not, but it's really not our focus. But um, in, in flying that mountain range, they've seen some, some sheep in there. And really, the, the rams in there are dying of old age. So we're excited to get in there and see what we find. And then we, yeah, and then I come out and have a bit of a break and then head to your favorite place, the Climiero Ranch in Montana on the 18th of September. And I'm taking my dad, who has hunted elk a lot and has never had a chance to, to shoot a bow or shoot a bull with his longbow, which we're hoping to, to, to let him and I get to watch him shoot his first elk uh, this, this year. And then heading to... New Mexico to the Taos Pueblo Indian Reservation for a bighorn hunt in early October, and then to Nevada for for mule deer in southeast Nevada out in the desert, and then to Eastern Plains in Colorado for another mule deer hunt at the first part of November, and then back to Tejon Ranch in December for elk. Awesome! What a what a great fall setup there, huh? Well, you know, I feel like it's my duty to. You make sure that I test the product in all sorts of different situations for our customers. So it's a really big sacrifice I feel like I have to make for this business and our cust- really for our customers. Uh, uh, is that the speech <laughs> you give your wife? <laughs> you I do. I say, you know, this is, it's all business. Yeah, it's, uh-huh. the, it's the price I have to pay, you know. So, Jason, this blacktail hunt uh, in California, is it going to be a spot-and-stock style hunt, much like our coos deer hunt was in Mexico, or what seems to be the strategy that works the best? It'll be spot-and-stock, just like we did in Mexico. So we're going to be looking over a lot of big countries and distance with big optics, and um, he'll be doing some pretty heavy scouting in advance. And what's great about blacktails and velvet is they're a little bit more predictable than once they go hard horn, just like any deer. But blacktails are tough. I mean, to shoot a big trophy blacktail is as hard as, as uh, any animal to shoot a really big trophy blacktail buck because they're really inconsistent and um, unpredictable. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to that hunt. It should be, it should be great. So that's a rifle hunt, and uh, the type of terrain that you'll be hunting there, is it kind of a rolling oak, uh, big canyon type of country? Yeah, I mean, bigger and steeper than what you typically hunt turkeys in um, in okay. California, Jay, but it's similar to that. Um, there, you know, being up north and being in that B-zone, you're going to get more uh, uh, pine trees and redwoods on the dark, you know, north-facing slopes. So you get some really thick stuff and then some really big open, big basins, but, but steep, big country up in there. Gotcha. And then on this Yukon hunt, um, so you're going to be doing quite a bit of traveling, then taking a jet boat up a river 50 to 60 miles, and then you guys will be on foot. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to be curious to see what your gear prep is for that. And, and with that being said, with the doll sheep that you got, you and Brendan shot last year, uh, those will be hard to, uh, to top. It'll be uh, real exciting to see how this adventure goes and see what you guys would be able to dredge out of there. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's going to be, this one's going to be a butt kicker. Uh, it's really steep. Um, it's really technical. We're the area that we're going and, you know, from, you know, complete backpack 
trip in, and we're going to have to travel some long distances to get back up into in some elevation to get back into where these where they've seen these sheep from the plane. And so it'll be it'll be one of those trips that you better come really well prepared and make sure you're in really good shape and that your your kit is as light as possible because of of what we're going to be hunting in. So I've um, you know we've been you know I train year round uh, to be prepared for hunts and hunting and never really get out of shape. But it's I take the 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 twelve month year and kind of change training depending on where I am within the, the, the year and the off season. And then as I ramp into hunting season and, you know, when, in the, in the winter and early spring, I'm doing a lot more kind of weight training, trying to get my strength back up from hunting season. And then as I come into the spring and now into early summer, you know, my cardio training increases significantly and, I am now spending a lot more time in a pack with weight. And, you know, as I've gotten older, I've had to adjust my training quite a bit. Um, as when you're, when you're young, in your 20s, or early 30s, I didn't have to do a lot of cardio. and I could just go hunt and feel good. And as I've gotten older, I've realized I have to be much more specific on my training. And I'm just being in good shape isn't enough anymore, as you, as you know. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm 43 now and it seems like about the last 3 years um I can't rely on just being able to you know throw you know throw and go. I've been noticing on your Instagram, I follow that. Um it it from from an appearance knowing you pretty well like I do, you seem pretty lean and mean. I'm I look at your face and 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 you you seem like you're um really hitting the trail pretty hard and I notice you've been doing some videos um, putting weight in, in a pack. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into what you're doing right now and how that will uh, change or transition as these hunts get closer. Um, so can you walk through exactly sure. what you're doing these days? Yeah, I mean, the last you know, 24 months, I've really kind of changed my diet to a, a more of a paleo-type diet and really been increasing my overall cardio training, um, really because that's what I found to, to make me feel better in the mountains on these big hunts as I'm starting to get older and starting to slow down a bit. I, it, I'm competitive and I hate when that happens to me. So, um, yeah, I am lean, as lean as I've been since I was in college, maybe the leanest I've ever been. And that's really just purely from, from training really hard year round. And, um, you know, I'm, I've really gotten into trail running the last 15 years of my life. And something that I've noticed the last, three or four years in hunts is the trail running. I'll be in great cardio shape and I can go run a half marathon in single track trails up to the mountains and feel great. And, but when I go into a hunt and I throw a pack on with weight, you know, it was the last few years has been more difficult than it had been in the past. And I started to really think about the biomechanics of carrying weight in the pack. And I've been spending more and more time in the off season in a pack year round with weight whether it's on the treadmill or whether it's out hiking trails more so than I ever have. And especially coming into this year, and there's a big difference when I do that, that the muscles specific to carrying weight and carrying weight uphill or downhill are just different than you can get through any other exercise. So I'm really trying to be specific in my training now around pack weight and pack training. And then also throwing in 
a lot of interval training, which really helps increase that base of fitness for big hunts. And you know, one of the challenges you have with training is is matching what you're going to do in a big day in the mountains or multiple days in the mountains. It's just it's really impossible. You're not going to be able to spend 12 hours a day in a pack training going into a hunt. So it's really maxing your system out when you are training to get yourselves uh, to a point where you can survive a 12-hour day or back-to-back 12-hour days in the mountains with heavy loads. And that's really only done through carrying more weight than you normally would in a pack for training and then really maxing your heart rate out through interval training during the week. And so I'll do interval training during the week and then on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, I'll do uh, long days in the pack, you know, two to three hours on Saturday and Sunday in the pack, and a long, long afternoon hike, usually on a treadmill on Fridays. And the rest of the week, I'll do some weight training and some interval training um, leading up to that weekend uh, of, of long hours in the pack. Specifically, Jason, what pack are you using to train, and uh, where are you getting your weight, and how much weight are, are you carrying? Yeah, I'm, I'm training right now in our Icon Pro pack, and I use the uh, our Icon Pro 3000, which works great for training. And um, I'm right now running a new prototype frame that uses this new spread toe carbon fiber that we've been testing. That is absolutely outstanding innovation in carbon fiber. It's, it allows us to carry even more weight and stronger, stiffer frame without adding any more weight to the frame. Um, what I've been using for weight to put in my packs is sandbags that we buy from like a, a video um, or film uh, retailer. That they use these bags to put over mic booms and lighting booms. And the way you can buy the sandbags in, from 5 pounds all the way up to 30 or 40 pounds. And they come to keep their sun in the canvas and they've got a handle. We use those. For, I use those for training because I add 25 pounds at a time. And I'll kind of ramp up from the spring into the summer. And right now, I'll, I'm training uh, with weights between 65 and 90 pounds in my pack, depending on how long I'm going for and what I'm going to do that day. And have you found that by going really heavy and then ramping into your actual hunt, then your actual pack weight that you're carrying obviously is less than that, so your your body is, in essence, used to carrying heavier, heavier weight, and then when the hunt comes, uh, you know, your pack weight is less, and it, it, it actually feels lighter, and you feel great? That's the goal, absolutely. So that when you're, you're training, so my goal is to make my training much harder than a typical day or a typical weight in your pack. Obviously, when you're packing out an animal in camp, you're going to be hitting weights similar to what I've trained in, Right. But that's usually towards the end of the hunt. You can always suffer your way out. It's My goal is to, when I put on my 40, 45-pound pack for my 10-day hunt, that it feels light and that I travel all day and I feel good still versus feeling the opposite. If you, if you haven't been training in a pack or you don't carry or you don't really count your ounces to get your pack weight down, that you end up suffering. And then really what happens is then you suffer the next day and it's a compounding effect on your legs and then on your mind over a long hunt to where, you know, I see a lot of guys or talk to a lot of guys by day or day three or day four, they're just mentally checked out. Yeah. I noticed on Instagram, your uh, retrofit uh, 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 headband you're wearing. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, you know. Can we get that in a in a Kuyu Vias or Verde, please? I can't believe all the requests I've had for that thing in Vias or Verde. <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't. I you know, I, sometimes I hate training with a hat on because it gets hot where I am. I mean, it's hot right now in California. We've had some days when I'm training; it's 100 degrees out, and so you just get drenched. And putting some block on, and, and the sweat coming down my eyes. I I found these sweatpants at uh, at the sporting goods shop the other day, and I thought, man, that might actually work pretty well. The bottom, and yeah, they're actually <laughs> the retro sweatband has a lot of function. <laughs> I love it. I do have to uh, ask you or plead with you. Uh, I've been wearing the the uh, Tiburon uh, shorts. Uh, I have kind of a, a gray color and kind of a brown color and, um, incredible shorts. Uh, it's the only pairs. I mean, my wife laughs cause a couple times a week she's having to wash my shorts cause I literally won't wear anything else. Um, and I am waiting for new Tiburon shorts. When are those going to be coming? And, um, if anybody out there has not tried those shorts, they're an amazing product uh, as well as I've switched to, uh, you know, the attack pant was always my archery elk hunting pant, and uh, I've been wearing the Tiburon uh, pants for spring turkey hunting and some of those warm weather hunts and wore them last year on all the elk hunts, um, and just a phenomenal product. But I, I do have to say, because I'm going to, fishing is going to be really ramping up here over the next couple months, and I want to fish in some more of those uh, Tiburon shorts. What's the status on them? The shorts are in transit, and we'll have them in, back in stock here this month. Awesome. awesome. And, you know, we have them in camo too, Jay, if you don't have them in Via Verde. No, should. I know. I have them on, I have them on order and uh, can't wait to get them for sure. Um, yeah, that, it, that it, material in Tiburon is something special, I'll tell you. Isn't it amazing? Oh, it, it's unbelievable. I mean, by far the best shorts I've ever worn um, literally my wife just rolls her eyes because, you know, I'll wear them back to back and then I'll say, I need, you know, go ahead and wash them. She's like, golly, can we get some new shorts? I said, I know I got them on order. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but an amazing product, amazing product. Uh, the breathability, uh, the, the stretch in the fabric is, is phenomenal. I've actually got them on right now as we're doing yeah, the too. interview. Um, just, yeah, a, just an amazing product. And, uh, you know, with that being said, you talk a little bit about your training. Let's go ahead and what are you going to be wearing on the blacktail hunt, uh, then on the Yukon hunt, the CA hunt? Let's start with those three because they're kind of the warm weather type hunts. What what gear are you going to be rolling with? Sure. I mean, for the for the blacktail hunt, I'll be in Tiburon pants and, and probably our our lightweight Peloton base base layer by the short sleeve. Um and you will have some cool mornings. So I'll bring a Peloton 200, probably hoodie, and then my guide jacket if it's if it's cold and we're, and we're traveling in the vehicle. Um, that hunt's pretty pretty basic because we're not going to be having big weather swings or cold fronts like we will when we go to the Yukon. The Yukon will have a, a really dialed-in kit. I'll be running the uh, the Ultra 6000 pack. Really, everything's going to be focused on weight. And when I build a kit for a hunt like that, I start with building a gear list out on Excel on an Excel spreadsheet that totals all the weight, and I weigh absolutely everything um, and put it onto that spreadsheet before it'll ever go into my pack, and really make sure that I've gone through that list 
multiple times, um, primarily to make, well, one reason to make sure I have everything, but really the bigger part of it is to look at what's going in your pack and what's driving your weight and do you have too much stuff and do you really need, you know, product X? Are you really going to use it? And if you don't, not to include it because it's so easy to set up a kit for a hunt and then to pick up a product, you're going, well, it would be kind of nice to have and throw it in. And you do that enough, and pretty soon you've added 10 more pounds to your pack weight. And if you train in a pack enough, and especially like on the treadmill, I can throw an extra 10 pounds in my pack on the treadmill, and I can see how much slower I have to walk on that treadmill to make up for those 10 pounds or how much higher my heart rate jumps by adding 10 pounds, how critical that is, especially over a 10-day hunt. And so I live and die off of that uh, gear list that I create on Excel and the weights that go into my pack. And one nice thing that I've done over the last decade of backpack hunting is, is by creating these gear lists on my exit from a hunt, I will go through and look at that gear list and, re and remove everything I didn't use from that, that hunt and, and then keep that. And as I'm building next year's kit out, I, I pull that same gear list up and look at what I brought, what I didn't use, and that gets removed. And I've really been able to narrow down do exactly what I need. And the pack weights now that I pack are just incredibly light. It kind of actually surprises me every year when I put it together and look at the total weights, how low they are. Definitely between um, you and Burns, you guys are definitely dialed in. Uh, let's take a quick break here, and then I, I want to actually ask you for that Yukon hunt exactly what you're, what you're going to roll with or what you think you're going to roll with. Okay, Jason, let's talk about the Yukon hunt, and you, you talk about this Excel spreadsheet. Um, you might not have the Excel spreadsheet on you, but can you tell me uh, kind of what in your mind, uh, as far as the Kuyu gear, what you'll be wearing, and um, what you're going to roll with on that hunt? Sure. I mean, my focus now, and as I make products for Kuyu and for our customers on these types of hunts, um, is really looking at everything I bring as a complete system, including sleeping bag, the tent, and everything that's going to my pack, and to try to utilize all of the apparel and the sleeping system as one unit. And, that, and what I mean by that is in colder situations or colder weather hunts or hunts that could have you know, big swings in temperature, instead of taking a zero-degree bag or a 15-degree bag, I always bring a 30-degree bag for a a hunt like the Yukon sheep hunt and then use my layering system that I'm wearing as part of my sleep system as well so I can go down to colder temperatures and that can that right there will save you a pound it'll also uh, you know in, in bag choices and temperature ratings it also lets you have a smaller compressed sleeping bag and then I'll take and think about the other gear and equipment like my pack for instance and how I can use that within my sleep system and so I bring a uh, the the short thermarest X-Lite air mattress, and it, it's long enough to have your shoulders and your hips on the pad. And what I'll do for my lower legs is then I turn my pack over and slide it in in the bottom part of my tent, and I put my feet up and my legs up on my pack. And so that lets me save another five to six ounces um, on the air mattress weight by bringing that short little air mattress. And once you get used to it, it's as comfortable as you know, bringing a large air mattress that weighs almost twice the amount of weight. And so it's, it's that mentality of trying to consolidate 
and trying to cross over pieces within your system allows you to really get to some, get to some low weights. And I do that also with, with my apparel as well. And for a you know, ultralight backpack kind of for sheep, I really fine-tune everything down to the lightest possible pieces that will get me through that hunt. And so in that hunt, because of the weather changes, I will be running the Tiburon pant as well with a set of our, our uh, Yukon gaiters uh, to protect my, my lower legs. And then I will bring our zip-off base layer bottoms, and I'll bring the, the merino wool because of that type of hunt and because I don't have to bring a change of uh, base layer bottoms, the merino, as you know, you can wear for days on end and it never gets uh, a foul odor or uh, becomes something you don't want to wear. So you can wear merino the whole time. And I'll bring one extra pair of socks, um, not multiple days of socks like I see a lot of guys bring. So two pairs of socks, one I'm wearing, one I'm drying, but I'm not wearing it. And then on the base layer, uh, on my upper body, I'll be running the Merino 125 long sleeve shirt, and then I will also bring a um, another 145 zip tee that can act as a next to skin piece if I need to, or can add as an extra layer over the 125 as a as a lightweight merino layering system. And then I will bring the Peloton 200 hoodie, which gives me that head protection if we're sitting up and glassing. And then I will bring our super down uh, jacket and pants on that hunt as well because they're light, compressible. And typically on a sheep hunt, you're climbing so much, you don't need insulation on the climb. It's when you're sitting down and glassing and that there's nothing warmer than throwing on that super down in that situation. And then instead of bringing a, like a soft shell jacket or a jacket that would go over the top of the super down, I just bring the Ultra NX shell as my final layer within that system. And that's essentially all I'm bringing is the Ultra NX shell. I'll bring a Chugach uh pants because I need a little bit more durability on a sheep hunt for rainwear and that's my layering system and then I will be using the Ultrastar one person tent uses the trekking pole to stand up it's 18 ounces and our ultra 6000 pack and then you know really high quality headlamp one the headlamps that we sell my GPS is on my watch now through Sunto and my system is incredibly light I mean I'll be under 10 pounds with my pack, all with my tent, my sleeping bag, extra clothes, headlamps, all the equipment I'll need prior to food, optics, and a weapon. I'm, in, I'm sub 10 pounds now on my pack weight. That's amazing. One quick question in your socks. Do you like the uh, over-the-calf sock or the, uh, not sure what's your, <clears throat> the shorter sock? The shorter crew sock? No, I run the over-the-calf sock for uh, hunts like the Yukon. When I'm running a gator, that, so that tall sock over the calf socks, that's what it's designed for. So it's going to give you leg protection. It'll make your gator more comfortable to where you pull them all the way up and then cinch your gator. And, and just to be clear, the gator is for keeping your um, boots from getting wet and, and a little bit of protection going through the brush and what have you? Yeah, it's, it's primarily to keep your boots dry. And it keeps your feet a little bit warmer. And then when you're hunting up north, you're in and out of small rivers all the time. With our gators, the way they stretch and cinch down, you can run through rivers and, and keep your feet dry if you move quickly through with our gators on. And that's a big advantage versus every time having to stop and take your boots off to cross. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a great setup. On the super down jacket, uh, hooded or not hooded? I'll run the hooded on that hunt. You know, you just need that, you know, that wind protection at the back of your neck when you're sitting up on a ridge and for hours classing. 
and, uh, and then I'll throw my shell over the top of that if it gets really cold. And then one trekking pole or two? You know, I bring, I don't even use a trekking pole. I use a telescoping ice axe for all of my hunts um, versus a trekking pole for, for a couple of reasons. One, the, the ice axe is an amazing tool up in, up in the northern country, you know, for making landing strips for the airplanes to pick you up for cut it, carving out a platform for your tent in steep terrain. And I've also used it as a way to anchor, you know, anchor the ice axe into the side of a mountain if I need to make a shot, for instance, in it's steep, and I can hang my pack on it. And it's just a really useful mountain tool. And then I also like the way my hand position is on an ice axe versus a trekking pole. Uh, as you slip and, and need to catch yourself, you're much stronger with your hand position in a downward angle or extended than, than bent holding a trekking pole. And uh, so I, that's what I bring. And um, I've started using one of those about six years ago, and I'll never go back to trekking pole. It's just it's so much better, at least for me. Jason, uh, I know there's a big push out there for floorless shelters, and I wanted to get your opinion as someone that's been uh, in the back country of you know sheep hunting a lot what is your opinion of floorless shelters in areas where you get quite a bit of moisture yeah i've tried them um and i've used floorless shelters with a bunch of different brands and a bunch of different types and a bunch of different situations and i've gone away from them now and for for a few reasons one's the moisture and if you get a lot of rain and you have it trenched around the outside of a floorless shelter you get everything wet inside which is a huge problem if you're up north because you can't get stuff dry and it could cost you your life uh, the other side of it is the more drier, you know, drier climates is the dust and when it gets windy and dust getting blown underneath the floor of the shelter and into all of your stuff, it just makes a mess of things. And then also with, uh, especially hunting up north with bugs and whether it's black flies or whether it's mosquitoes or even like I've hunted in Nevada one year when they had a Mormon cricket hatch, to not have a, a tent with a, with a floor and you could seal it up with bug netting, uh, it's not a situation that's very comfortable to sleep in. <laughs> so I've completely gone yeah. away from them. And I know there's some weight savings to it, but like our 1P Ultrastar, and it's incredibly light. Now you've got a, a sealed bathtub floor. You, you can get away from the bugs, and you don't have, and you're not really giving anything up in weight. I can tell you, for being an Arizona boy, until you have a scorpion crawl in your sleeping bag with right? you, uh, you, you pretty much want to have a floor on your shelter for sure. I do. Uh, one one <laughs> thing uh, I didn't hear from you is your, your headwear as far as um, I know you've got some uh, merino beanies and uh, some different types of headwear. Tell me what for that Yukon hunt or any type of, you know, backcountry sure. hunt where you're going to have inclement weather. What are you, what are you using? Yeah, I'm using our new Peloton glassing cap. Primarily now, it's a kind of articulated comes down around the ears. I don't know if you have that one yet, but you need it. And then I'll bring, I'll bring our merino wool neck gaiter. I've always brought that. And then now we have a new Peloton 200 neck gaiter as well. And I'll bring that for for colder situations and climates. But I mean, what's amazing to me is that neck gaiter and how much I use it. And I'll use that with in conjunction with a baseball hat and um, really stay out of a beanie a lot of times. And now with a, a hooded base layer like the Peloton 200, 
you almost don't even need a beanie, although I'll bring the glass and cap for, for you know, long stints behind the optics. But um, that's what I bring on my headwear primarily. And I tell you, sheep, sheep hunting may or may not bring the Peloton 200 indicator because I may not need it because it's the time of year. I've been using the, um, I've got three or four pairs or, or sets of the Kuyu neck gaiter and turkey season, I, I, I wore the heck out of it. And quite honestly, I've been wearing it out fishing. Uh, it's twofold to keep the sun off me. Yep. Um, you know, I don't even, now that I've worn it a little bit, when I first wore it, it was a little awkward having something on your face. But now that I'm used to it, I pull it even up over my nose a lot of time, cover my ears, it covers my neck, uh, covers the bald spot on the back of my uh, head because I'm, uh, you know, that like the gap in your hat and uh, yep. basically can keep the sun off me. Um, turkey season, it was awesome because, you know, um, you could just pull it up uh, and I'm anxious to use it. I've got the um, you know, fishing all summer, I'm going to be using it to keep the sun off me. But uh, I drew that beaver archery oak uh, permit in Utah. And, um, you know, I've, I've never really wa- worn face paint. I've never really worn anything on my face. But uh, dang sure I'm a believer in those neck gaiters. Um, and I think I saw you on the CA hunt, uh, that one elk um, that we had come up, that, that spike that literally came up and sniffed you and then burped in your face <laughs> you had the neck gator on and and virtually other than your eyeballs i mean that elk did not see any skin at all and had, he had no idea what you were yeah i mean it's amazing how much your skin stands out and um that neck gator just is so useful and as a, it's, it is it's a great face cover for those types of situations i use it a lot that's awesome. Uh, Jason, it's been awesome having you on here, um, as always, and it's uh, always great to watch um, how Kuyu has been advancing, and I just love uh, you know Instagram and Facebook and all over the internet. It seems that Kuyu is, is everywhere, and um, you know, I think I, I, I think the majority of hunters are finally catching on to how good of products uh, that you make. And I just want to commend you for the effort for, um, you know, you, you said somewhat at the beginning it was uh, somewhat self-serving in that you wanted to make the products for yourself. But um, I just appreciate you pushing the envelope and continuing with, you know, trying to always, you know, you're never resting. You're, you're never <laughs> sitting back saying, oh, this product's great, there's nothing like it, and it will never be beat. You're saying, well, I'm going to continue to try and beat my own product. And I, I think it takes, you know, a special person to realize that, you know, if, if, if you sit back and think that, you know, something of your, you know, in your line can be beat, you, you know, I, I just think, I just think you're constantly pushing the envelope, and I, I appreciate that. Thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, it's so very self-serving, Jay. I mean, I'm never satisfied, um, and we're always searching for perfection, which, you know, quite honestly can never be met, but that's the mentality behind how we do things here at Kuyu, how I do things in, in Kuyu in my life, and it's always, you know, really trying to push yourself uh, further and trying to find the, the limits and then trying to find ways to uh, meet things that can that can help uh, perform in those 
those really challenging situations and conditions. And it's, it's so fun. I mean, what I get to do is like, you know, I pinch myself every time I get to drive into work every day and the things I get to do and the places I get to go and the things I get to see and make. And I mean, truly, absolutely every day is a dream come true for me. That's awesome. It's real evident. Uh, anybody that follows you, it's evident that it is a dream come true and it, it is evident that you uh, value that and uh, I appreciate you that, for that and uh, continue to keep rocking and making great stuff and I'll be anxious to see the pictures and, and I encourage all the listeners out there, uh, follow Jason on Instagram. Uh, he, he's his uh, transparency is is really second to none of someone of his caliber in the industry um, and um, you know it, it's that transparency I think that as Jason has built your customer base and I commend you for that for sure well thanks Jay I appreciate it um, and uh, thank you for having me on it's always a pleasure it's always good to, to talk to you and I hopefully we'll get to do a high here pretty soon sounds good buddy I look forward to seeing some uh, great your photos from your adventures. I will, and uh, I'm training myself and uh, trying to get in the best shape I can be. That Beaver Mountain in Utah, I've been told, is a is a, a rugged, mm-hmm. nasty mountain, and so I'm gonna. Uh, I've I've been, and I'm gonna continue to try and be in tip top shape by the time I hit there. So, uh, look forward to uh, uh, seeing how you do this fall, and um, take care, buddy. Okay. Likewise, Jay. Keep me posted. Uh, Look forward to the pictures. Take care. All right, buddy. God bless you. Take care.